as we uh, continue this series uh, leading to Christmas and Christmas Eve, uh, we're calling the God who speaks. I, I will admit that, uh, and some of you may be wondering, what in the world does that passage have to do with Christmas? And that's part of the reason why we're uh, preaching it. I, I want to do the best I can in this series to connect the, the grand narrative of the Bible and, and um, trying to do that clearly, trying to do that well, trying to just honestly work through my own hearts. Or am I, am I going to be able to do that in a clear way? And uh, I, I will admit I, I struggled this week um, mightily with this sermon and even even this weekend after I had sent it out uh, just a spiritual battle maybe of just scrapping it and starting over even late last night and uh, I think the Lord in his graciousness and that has to do a lot of me and you, we don't need to get into that but just the tendency to be drawn to people pleasing and this and that and just um, series like this are hard for me I've said that um, so much I want to say and yet zeroing in on one thing and I was reminded of the importance of hopefully why we're doing this series and why God laid it on my heart but hopefully to help us see the importance of what we're of what we're saying last night not that I'm going to say it well but the the point of it anyway uh, I was reminded of a, a there's a tendency I think, to disconnect the Old Testament and the New Testament. And last night I was, um, made a, I was just reminded of that in a very prominent, I won't name him because he's probably some of y'all's favorites and I don't, quite honestly don't want to deal with the emails. Um, but a very prominent pastor, humongous church, not Joel Osteen, I will say that. It's not Joel Osteen. Um... um you said, thank goodness. <laughs> very prominent pastor, very mega church, huge. I, I, I would bet probably 75% of us have book, this man's books on our shelves. And, and this is what he said in a, in, a, in a sermon fairly recently. And these, these statements go both ways with me, just so you understand my mindset. You know, here I am trying to connect the Old Testament and the New, and then there's these mega church pastor who is trying to do the opposite. And you just have to understand how Satan wears on me, just attacks me with stuff like that. It's like, Chris, are you doing the right thing? What are you doing? Just tell them what they want to hear and just understand there's an assault there. But he says this, Christians need to unhitch the Old Testament from their understanding of the faith. He, he says, I, I want to instruct people to ignore the Old Testament and focus solely on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says this, this is a quote, Jesus' new covenant, and that's what we're going to look, this is why this struck me, because this is what we're talking about this morning, and I'm thinking, what are you doing, Chris? Jesus' new covenant, His covenant with the nations, His covenant with you, His covenant with us, can stand on its own two nail-scarred resurrection feet. It does not need propping up by the Jewish Scriptures. Listen to what he says. The Bible did not create Christianity. The, Christ, the resurrection of Jesus created and launched Christianity. Your whole house of, new, of Old Testament cards can come tumbling down. 
The question is, did Jesus rise from the dead? Rise from the dead, and the eyewitnesses said he did. The problem is this. If you throw away the Old Testament, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus need to come? And I'm trying to calm myself because these articles infuriate me. And I can feel my chest pounding right now. I'm trying to be careful with my words. You don't have a New Testament without the Old Testament. And the part of the reason why my fear is is that we don't really appreciate the New Testament is because you don't really understand the Old Testament. You, you can't preach the gospel without an understanding of the Old Testament. I mean, the new, what we're going to see even today, the new is built on the old. I mean, if you did the, if you did the math, almost a third of the New Testament is actually built upon quotations of the Old Testament. Almost a third. This is what this individual said in his sermon. Unhitching the Old Testament from the New is liberating for men and women who are drawn to the simple message that God loves you so much He sent His Son to pave the way for a relationship with you. It's liberating for people who need, an understand, who need to understand grace, who need an, to understand forgiveness. And it's liberating for people who find virtually impossible to embrace the dynamic, the worldview, and the value system depicted in the story of ancient Israel. I would argue we don't really understand grace because we really don't understand the Old Testament. We don't understand and value the, what we're going to look at today, the New Covenant, because we don't understand the Mosaic Covenant. I mean, the Gospel is only liberating to sinners because it's grounded in history and it's grounded in what we were bound up in. I mean, he, he says this, again, he, he, he goes on to say, if you were raised on a version of Christianity that relied on the Bible as the foundation of faith, a version that was eventually dismantled by academia or the realities of life, do you understand what he's saying there? That the Bible is, is null. Maybe it's time, listen, maybe it's time for you to change your mind about Jesus. Maybe it's time for you to consider the version of Christianity that relies on the event of the resurrection of Jesus as its foundation. If you gave up your faith because of something about or in the Bible, maybe you gave up unnecessarily. Do you understand what this man is saying? This is a mega, mega, mega church pastor. Books are flying off the shelves by this man. And then, I, I just for my own sake, just understand my... Here I am trying to hitch the Old Testament and the New Testament. You can see what a fool I feel like. This guy's a megachurch pastor. But guys, we don't, we don't understand the New Testament because we don't understand the Old Testament. And we, even the way those are named, it can become very disjointed. It's one story. And, and you can't unhitch them. What, what I'm trying to show us in this series is that it wasn't like God said, oh man, I made a mistake in the Mosaic Law, let me do something better. Oh, I made a mistake there, let me do something better. Oh, I made a mistake there, let me just crucify my son and make it all right. The, 
The, the point of all of this, we saw it last week in Galatians 3.24, is to lead us to Christ. It's to appreciate Christ. And I said it at the end of last week, and a couple of y'all called on it and asked me about it, but listen, we're bound to the law, but not the Mosaic law the way many of you think. We're bound to Christ. And we'll see it next week as we look at the Scriptures as a whole and how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Scriptures. But, but you can look at Galatians 6.2, for instance. He says, bear one another's burdens and in doing so fulfill the law of Christ. We're not a lawless people. We're bound to Christ. The law of Christ. Love, love God, love, love others. I think if we were honest, we've got our hands full right there. And, and what the meaning of Christmas and, and the, the, what I want us to see is everything, you know, some 2,700 years before Jesus was born in that manger, God in His grace was, and the, these prophets were telling people, look, look for this child. Look, look for this one who will be born of a virgin in, in, in a town of Bethlehem. This is, this is going to be the new covenant that I'm going to make with my blood, as Jesus says in Luke, Luke chapter 22. It is a new covenant, but, it, but it's built on the old covenant. And it's fulfilling the old covenant. We, we can't unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. And, and again, if we're honest, a lot of the reason we don't appreciate the New Testament and understand the New Testament is because we don't understand the Old Testament. It's foreign to us. And we, we see that term old and we think it's just disregarded. It's fulfilled. It was good. We saw it last week. The law of God is good and it's holy and it's righteous. Why? Because it flowed from God. And the whole point was to lead us to Christ. The whole point was to say, I need someone to do that on my behalf. I need someone to be righteous for me. Because mere laws on the outside of me, it won't do it. And what I want us to see today is, again, the, the connection between the Old and the New, if you will, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the connection even between the Mosaic Law and to Christ. Again, the, the faithfulness, even what Dwayne read there, the faithfulness, God is basically saying there in verses 35 through 38, I hope you caught it, there's no way I'm giving up on my people. I'll be faithful. Even though they are not, I'll be faithful. Even to the point of crucifying my son. Again, Galatians 3, whatever, I think it's 21, 22, says that for if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died needlessly. That's the whole point. You and I cannot be made righteous through the law. Why? Because we break it. And James 2.10 says, if you break one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. That's the curse, if you will. Galatians 3 says that Jesus Christ became that curse. He fulfilled the law perfectly, and yet He died a death as if He had not. He became that curse for us. And again, if we don't understand that, we said it. I think so because we don't understand the Old Testament, because we don't grasp the story, we come to the gospel thinking that we have like this $3.50 debt 
that, you know what, we probably could have worked off, but it's easier if I just ask Jesus to forgive it and then I'll just move on. Instead of realizing we had an insurmountable debt that we could never work off. That's the whole point. And numerous, numerous parables in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, paint that picture. We're, we're like the Pharisee who sees the, the, the prostitute wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, and we're like, him, we're like the, the Pharisee that says, man, I'm glad I'm not like her. And, and we'll argue about it. And again, Jesus, it is a trustworthy statement, 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Paul says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of which Paul says of which I am the foremost of which I am the chief but why why did Jesus come the way he come what was God doing again Jesus Christ is it this this baby in the manger it's the the supreme picture of God's character and his love and his mercy and his redemption, and not only that, his faithfulness. To do exactly what I'm trying to help us to see is God is doing in, in Bethlehem through Jesus and through his life, death, and resurrection exactly what he said he would do. For thousands and thousands and thousands of years, he waited, patiently enduring. Galatians 4 says, When the fullness of time came, he put forth his son at the perfect time in history, in the perfect place, right as he said he would do. Micah 5, 2, Isaiah 9, all, for to, right here in Bethlehem, I'm going to do exactly what I said. And, and here's how you'll know. Isaiah 35, 5, and 6 says, This is how you'll know, this is how you'll be able to identify the Messiah. The lame will leap, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the mute will speak. Jesus' miracles were not random. They weren't accidental. They weren't haphazard. Go to, the, go to the Gospels. What is Jesus doing? He's doing exactly what Isaiah 35 says that the Messiah would do. Th these things are proofs. G God in His grace is saying, here He is. Here He is. Look for no other. Here He is. And you know what sinful humanity did? They killed Him. That's the depth of our sinfulness. And, and it's why, it's why, even in Jeremiah 31, it's why God would have to do what He says He's going to do, not mere man. God would do this. And what I want to see today, again, is that even the Old Testament that some people think we need to unhitch ourselves from, the Old Testament points to Christ. He's the hero. He's the pinnacle of the story. You unhitch yourself from the Old Testament, you're unhitching yourself with Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Again, we saw this last week, Galatians 3.24. The law was a tutor to lead us to Christ. And the main point I want us to see, why, why would God do that? Why would God perform salvation this way? Why? Because you see it on the main point there. If God's creation was ever going to rightly reflect and obey God as His people, by the way, as we showed last week we were designed to do, then God would have to transform their hearts by acting on their behalf. What the law showed was that mere externals won't cut it. We need new hearts. 
God formed a people. He created a people out of nothing. Those people rebelled. Sin. That sin causes us to be outside of his presence, needing a reconciler. What God is doing in salvation, he is recreating his creation. But the Mosaic, again, the Mosaic law, what it exposed was not only God's holiness, we saw last week, but it exposed God's sin, it, not God, it exposed man's sinfulness. And, and mere external laws proved incapable of solving the issue. Over and over and over, here's what Israel did they failed. They failed. And the, the, the entire Old Testament story is that cycle of Israel's failure. God's people would fall into sin. God would, God would send a prophet. They would repent. Things would be okay for a little while. And what would happen? They would fall back into the same sin. God would send a prophet. They would repent. Things would go for It's this cycle over and over and over. And all throughout, here's what the prophets are saying. Look for the Messiah. Look for the Messiah. By the way, here's the, here's the message of all the, all the prophets. Repent. Repent. Guess what Jesus' message was when he came onto the world? As a man, not that he was eternal, but as a man, when he took on deed. You know what, you know what Jesus' message was? Repent. Repent. And we're here in Jeremiah 31. We could have been in a myriad of places, but I want us to understand this new covenant for a reason. G Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet over a hundred times in his book, you know, in his letter. You know what he says? Repent. Repent. Jeremiah's message was one message, repent. And, and yet, and, and, and they continued in disobedience. Repent. And, and, and you see this cycle over and over and over and over again. And, and I find myself, maybe you do too, I find myself looking at these people in, in, in my own self-righteousness like, guys, don't you get it? And you know what? You know what God is saying to me? Chris, don't you get it? Because if we're honest, that cycle we see in the Old Testament is my life and your life. Propensity to sin. Propensity to wander. Lord, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I, I love. Lord, take my heart and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wander. God in His grace is giving us in the... In the in, is, is showing us on the pages of Scripture through others, my life and your life. My story, your story. That at the core, at our core, we're idolatrous and we're immoral. That, that we are incapable of doing anything to get to God on our own. We're incapable of not sinning on our own. And yet at the same time, Jeremiah is showing us the character of God, the goodness and the faithfulness. Again, in Jeremiah chapters 30 through 33, Jeremiah offers hope. He has just said to them, listen, because of your great sin, you are going into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. The worst thing that would ever happen to Israel is about to happen. Their city is going to be destroyed, their temple is going to be destroyed, and they're going to be exiled into their enemy's land for 70 years years and in the midst of that here's what god says the hope is this there's coming a day where i'm going to form a new covenant there's coming a day 
Even, even at the end of Jeremiah 31, God says, there's coming a day where I'm going to form a new city and I'm going to form a new people for that city and they will dwell there permanently. You see the hope of a new heavens and the new earth. And in, in the midst of this bleak picture, the worst really moment in Israel's history, God in His grace gives four chapters of hope. God lifts up their heads says, here's the hope. There's a day coming in the future when I'm going to inaugurate a new covenant with my people. And it's going to be ushered in by Christ. And he gives them a glimpse of what, that, what the day when the Messiah, when he would lead his people in obedience. And that's Jeremiah 31 that Dwayne just read. And he tells them what he's going to do in this new covenant. What he's going to do for them. The reason why I want us to see this is I want us to see when, when, when Jesus arrives on the scene, if you will, and in Bethlehem, it is a picture, if nothing else, and it's so much else, but God is faithful. He's faithful to do exactly what He said He's do. He's faithful to pursue His creation, to recreate them, to do for them what they could not do for themselves, to do exactly as He promised. And when He shows up, He is connecting the new to the old. He's hitching his wagon, if you will. Contrary to popular belief, he's hitching his wagon to the Old Testament. You go to John 1.29, what does John the Baptist say? The very, almost the very first thing he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why would he say that? Because he saw the fulfillment of Christ of the entire New Old Testament sacrificial system. What I want us to see, and I, I, don't, I, I, I told Karen, I'm not sure how this is going to work this morning, if it's going to make any sense. I hope it does. I want us to see Christ as the fulfillment. I, I want us to treasure Christ more because of that. that. That when you open up, the, it's like opening up that gift that, that you've longed for all year, that one gift that you hoped more than anything was under the tree. And when you open it up, everything changes. Christ is that gift. Treasure. So look, look, point one, as, as we try to build this, to see the beauty of what God is doing in Christ and, and fulfilling this new covenant, if you will. Again, the Bible is built on covenants. You have the Noahic covenant where he says, listen, I'll never flood the earth again. You have the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12. You have the Mosaic covenant. That was the law. You have the, 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 the Davidic covenant that God would build it, that God would provide a king. You have the Palestinian covenant that God would give a land. Again, all of those covenants are really pointing back to that Abrahamic covenant. Even this new covenant, he's pointing back to the Abrahamic covenant saying, listen, remember when I told Abraham that I'm going to form a nation out of you? Go back there. I'm faithful. It all comes together in the midst of Jerusalem's despair, in the midst of them about to be destroyed, midst of them about to be taken into Israel, God shows them a day through Jeremiah when God's people would receive a new covenant. What's God saying? I'm not done with you. My faithfulness remains. In spite of your great unfaithfulness, I will be faithful to do exactly what I said I would do. And again, it would contain the same... Again, 
it would contain the same components as the previous cut. It's not like, of the previous cut, it's not like, man, you know what? That, that, I tried that Mosaic law. That didn't work real well. Let's try something else. Oh, I tried the Davidic covenant. That didn't work real well. You know, I tried the Palestinian covenant. That didn't work real well. The Abrahamic covenant, that didn't work real well. So let's try this. That's not the point. That's, 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 that's how we see it, and it's not. It was to drive us to look for God to do for us what we could not do on our own. Or, or we say, well, that was law, and this is grace. We saw last week, grace was all throughout it. God had already chosen them as his people when he gave them the law. God is revealing to them. It's gracious for God to say, listen, you fall short. It's gracious for you to go to, it's painful but gracious when you go to the doctor. I've got a dermatology appointment coming up. And every time I go in there, he says, your bald head doesn't cover your, you got to burn this off or free this off. Every, but that's gracious of him. You know why? Because if he doesn't, those things could kill me. The law was great, again, gracious in that it exposed our sin. Hey, there's something here that's going to kill you. There's something here that's going to separate you from me for all eternity if it's not dealt with. It's grace. Again, you can go throughout the Old Covenant, and uh, the, the Mosaic Law, if you will, and see there was grace. But, but there's difference. And you see it there on your handout. In the Old Covenant, the law was written on stone tablets. It was external. Moses, you remember him coming down from the mountain after meeting with God. He's holding in his hands these tablets of stone that had the law written on them, the Ten Commandments. And the issue was that the law was outside of them. And that's what he says in Jeremiah 33. When he begins to speak to the New Covenant, look what he says. He goes back to that. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it and I will, be their, my, I will be their God and they shall be my people. The old covenant was written on stone tablets. The new covenant of the, is the law that will be written on our hearts, human hearts. I will put my law in them. This is what you and I need. We need new hearts. Sin, sin needed more than externals to conquer it. Look, you, you, you see it with your kids. You can rule, you can make all the rules you want for your kids. Listen, Sarah Grace is not in here, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yesterday, how many times did we have to tell her to clean her room? She knows better. Her room was like a bomb went off in it. You, you try to go in there to, like, to... At night when she's in her bed, she'll call you in there. and you, you risk your life trying to go from the door to the bed. Like it's a copay waiting. Somebody's blowing out an ACL or something. Well, Sarah, clean your room. She came out. It's clean. I was like, did your mom approve it? Nope, but well, it ain't clean then. What, five times she had to go back in there and redo it. Here's her point, her heart. She didn't want to do it. It was a heart issue. And even when she did it, she didn't want to do it. She had the worst attitude known to man. Here's the point. We need new hearts. Sin needed something more than just external laws if it was going to conquer it. God wasn't pleased in a group of people who just externally would go through the motions and internally hate what they were doing. Sin is engraved on our hearts. 
Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Again, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's on our heart. We're born that way. Our hearts are desperately sick, and out of our hearts is where all these sin. Again, Jesus made that very clear. We'll see it next week, but he says, he says what goes into a man's mouth in Matthew 15, what goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean. What comes out of a man's mouth is what makes him unclean. For thefts and murders and idolatries and covetous, all that, what does he say? It flows from your heart. Your heart. And you see, letter A, what we see throughout the Old Testament is God's people's inability to fully obey the law, proving that our greatest enemy is trying to obey God on our own through our own flesh. Our greatest enemy is trying to please God in our flesh, thinking that we can obey Him on our own efforts or we can get to Him through our own efforts or our own morality. Like we can measure up on our own. The idea that, again, we've seen it in our worship series, the idea that we can be like the Pharisees in Matthew 15. This people honors me with their lips, but their what is far from me? Their hearts. That's why in Isaiah 1, verses 11 through 18, he says, I'm sick of your new moon festivals. I'm sick of all these things. Why? Because your hearts are far from me. The challenge for all of us is that we can do a lot of things externally and look the part and internally never love God. That's the challenge. That's our greatest enemy. It's to go through the motions and and be deceived. And if we're honest, we see that in our own lives. And, And again, that's the essence of every religion in the world. And if that's all that new Christianity is, then Christianity is no different than every other false religion in the world. No matter what we say, if it's simply this external doing what internally we don't want to do, if externally we're trying to get to God on our own, Christianity is no different than Hindu, it's no different than Muslim, it's no different than Buddha, it's no different than the Sikhs, it's no different than anything else. Man trying to get to God on their own strength. It's no different. You see it on your handout. The worst enemy to every single person in this room is the idea that we can get to God by what we do. That we can merit God's favor through what we do. And the issue with the Old Testament, the, I mean the Old Covenant, if you, is, the, old, the issue with the law is that it never cured the issue of the heart. It never put inside man the power to defeat sin it didn't give us the power to fulfill its obligation and the old testament proves this and by the way if we're honest our own lives prove this guilty that's that's unfortunately that's the verdict when we come to the law that's the verdict that every single person walks away from guilty And, and B, what we see throughout the Old Testament is that our greatest need is spiritual regeneration in the form of a new heart. We need new hearts. We, we need a change from the inside out. 
We need the law written on our hearts. We need it filling our hearts. We need to learn to love God from a heart, not just conforming externals to God. Again, it doesn't mean that the law becomes irrelevant. Like I said in Galatians 6, 2, we're not a lawless people. You go to Romans 13, verses 8 through 11, and he says, love your neighbor as yourself, for in doing so you fulfill the entire law. Don't covet, don't murder, don't steal. He lists all the other ones, and he says, those are fulfilled in loving your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not breaking commands 5 through 10. Just love your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, when you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you're not going to break commands one through four. It wasn't that it was irrelevant. Jesus in Matthew 22, verses, I think it's 36 and 17, 37, he's just boiling it down to the bare minimums. I mean, the be- that's the beauty of the new covenant. What, what we learn, you see it on your handout, is that obedience... What we learn is that obedience to the law is not a condition for entering the new covenant. If that was the case, then none of us would qualify. That's the whole point. He's saying you can't do it. But it doesn't mean that obedience is thrown out the window. Christianity is not pray this prayer, get my sins forgiven, so I can, I can live however I want to live, but when I die, I'll go to heaven and not hell. That's not what Christianity is. That's not the point of grace. Obedience is at the core of the New Testament. What did Jesus say? And if you love me, you will what? Obey my commands. But you see what it flows out of? It flows out of love. It flows out of the heart. He says in in John 8, 31, and listen, this is, what, this is what strikes me. In verse 30 of John 8, he, he says, G, he, Jesus says all these things, and it says, many of them believed. And then it immediately says, and Jesus began speaking to those who believed. He says this, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Here's what strikes me. Again, speaking to people who said they believed, eight verses later, he says, you're of your father, the devil. Chew on that for the rest of the Sunday afternoon while you watch the Bucks and the Ravens play. Speaking to those who believed. The challenge is this. It's real easy to follow Jesus for the wrong reasons. Jesus had a lot of people follow him because he fed them. Because he performed miracles. Versus following because like the... Again, that's what Jesus says to the disciples. He says, are you going to walk away too? They said, Jesus, where would we go? You have words to eternal life. Why were they following Jesus? Because in him were words to eternal life, not fish and loaves. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What happens? Then all this other stuff is going to be taken care of. Why? Because I'm your father. And I know what you need even before you ask. That's why he says, are you not more precious than the grass of the field and the birds of the air? Yes, and I take care of them. It's real easy to follow Jesus for the wrong reasons. And when we come to Christ, it's because we need a new heart. And what he gives us is a new heart. We, We come to Christ because we need our sins dealt with. 
We come to Christ because no matter how good we think we are, we will never measure up externally because we all fall short, Romans 3.23 says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone, including Jesus' mother, earthly mother. All. We come, to, we come to Jesus because we want God more than we want the things of the world. It's not, man, I guess I have to let this go in order to follow Jesus. Or, man, I, uh, no. That, that, again, that's the deceptiveness of Satan, that we can serve two masters. We come to Jesus because we get God. Because we get reconciled to God. And it's Matthew 13. He's the treasure. He's the treasure. I mean, imagine me coming home tomorrow afternoon. I walk in the door, and, and Karen's in there, and I give her a kiss, and she says, what's that for? I was like, well, I was reading this book. It says I have to do that. I mean, do you think she's going to take joy in that? Oh, well, let's do this every day. No, she's, you know what she wants? She's, I wish you wanted to do that. I wish you kissed me out of the overflow of your heart, not because some external law said you had to do it. And Jesus came, again, God is telling in Jeremiah through the prophet, there's coming a day where I'm going to give you a new heart. Jesus did that. That's why he came, to, 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 to give us a new birth, to, to, to change our hearts. But, but secondly, in the midst of Israel's unfaithfulness of sin, God remains faithful and promises Israel that a day was coming when He would make a new covenant with them and they would know God in a whole new way. Look, look at verse 34 of Jeremiah. He says, They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will, and, and there will be a new... Again, in the Old Covenant there were teachers that would mediate between God and man. Okay? People, people would approach God through, through mediators. And you see it there, A, on number two, A. In the Old Covenant, God's people related to God through flawed men. Flawed men. Teachers who would bring God's Word to them, would intercede for them. Again, great men, but they were flawed. They were sinners. You see, all throughout the Old Testament, they would have to make a sacrifice for their own sin first, and then make a sacrifice for the people of God. But also in the Old Testament, you see there, you had limited admission to the presence of God through those few men. Moses went in on behalf of the people. The priests would go in once a year to the Holy of Holies on behalf of the people. So you have men going, getting to God through flawed men, you have limited access. But you see, B, in the new covenant, what is God saying? We're reconciled to God through a flawless man. Flawless. Jesus is no mere teacher. He's not, he's not some, just a good prophet. He's the covenant-keeping, perfect prophet, priest, and king. He's the Son of God. He's Lord. He's the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Not amongst us. With us. 1 Corinthians 6, the Spirit of God, He says, I'll give you another helper and literally I'll be in you. You see the new covenant? God has kept His covenant. When, when we, when he has sent Jesus so that if we would trust in Him, He could robe us with His righteousness. We would be separated from our sins. 
And under the, un, under the new covenant, we now have unlimited access to the presence of God. Hebrews 10 says that we can boldly approach God's throne. Anyone who's a believer, you don't need to come to me. You don't need to pray through me. You don't need to ask forgiveness through me. You have unlimited access to the throne. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, we have this hope and we are bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face. We all with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord. Every man, every woman, every child in this room who trusts Jesus Christ for your righteousness, who trusts Him as Lord, can enter into the presence of God boldly without hindrance. That's the promise of the new covenant. You, you have the privilege today that only a very few had in that Old Testament. You have the very Word of God before you. Unlimited access. But that's only through Jesus Christ. Again, in this baby in a manger, God is fulfilling His Word from thousands and thousands of years ago. And again, He's doing for us what we could not do on our own. Not, but not only new hearts, not only knowing the God in a fresh new way, in the midst of, in the midst of their unfaithfulness, God says, I'm going to make a new covenant and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forever forgive you. Forever separate you from your sins. He says that at the end of verse 34. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Listen, it, it wasn't that there wasn't grace in the other covenants. So, sometimes, again, we go to the old covenant and we think no grace, new covenant, all grace. That's not the case. Even in the old covenant, God, go to Leviticus, God in His graciousness built in sacrifices for sin. The very fact that he revealed himself in the law was grace. We saw that. But in the old covenant, they had continual sacrifices through which God patiently passed over their sins. And if you go to Romans 3.23, it says that in his forbearance, God passed over the sins previously committed. Think, think, and I, 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 all illustrations fall short. You say, well, Chris, what does that mean? It's like this. When, when, when we go to the grocery store... We put all these groceries in our cart and they say, hey, you owe this amount. And we take this credit card and we slide it in this machine and it accepts the card. You know what? You know what you're telling them? Hey, you're not really paying for the groceries right then. You're telling them there's coming a day, some of us shorter than others, longer than others. There's coming a day when I'll pay for those groceries, right? What, 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 they, what God was saying is, I, I'm going to pass over these sins for now. There's coming a day where I'm going to crucify my son, your Messiah. I'm going to crucify that one lamb who's going to take over, who's going to clear up, who's going to forgive the sins of the entire world. All those Old Testament sins that through faith they sacrificed those lambs and bulls and goats for, the, the, the debt was dealt with through Christ. Once and for all. In the Old Testament, year after year after year after year, the sacrifices had to be repeated. Why? Because sin remained. Again, l listen to Hebrews chapter 10. You, you see the point of, of faith, but you see the continuity. In, in the New Covenant, again, in the New Covenant, you see here, there will be one perfect sacrifice through which God permanently removes our sin. 
Please see Christ this way. See, again, if you don't understand the Old Testament, you don't, you don't appreciate the New. Listen, to, and again, chapter 10 of Hebrews, for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year after year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been clean, would no longer have their consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, okay? You say, okay, what's the solution? Go over to verse 11. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time and time again the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, Christ having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time for onward until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. For by the one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Do you, do you see the, the awesomeness, the fullness of what Jesus Christ did in comparison to the New Testament? Again, built upon it. There had to be a sacrifice for sin. Hebrews 9, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Why did Jesus have to die? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You, you can't unhitch Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. And imagine, think about that. Imagine every time we gathered here, we were killing animals. Think about that. And that in Christ, once and for all, do you see the sufficiency, the awesomeness of what Christ... But why, why did he take on flesh? Because he had to die. He came to die. Matthew 20, 28, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to die one time. We're not re-sacrificing him every time we take the Lord's Supper. We're celebrating a once and for all sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice. Jeremiah speaks to that in Jeremiah 31. Again, we're not gathering in this room to bring offerings for our sin, to atone for our sin. It's already been done. We're celebrating what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. Forever. I mean, he says it there, in Jer I will remember their sins no more. This is Psalm 103, 12. I will separate them from their sins as far as the east is from the west, and their sins I will remember no more. Christ. Christ did that. He, or he made that available all through the new covenant. But again, why the new covenant? Because it was built on the old. Fourthly, in the midst of Israel's unfaithfulness, God remains faithful and promises Israel that a day was coming when he would make a covenant with them, and the coming of Christ would be the consummation. That's really more than anything else what I want to see today, the consummation. Christ is what everything in the Old Testament pointed to. I say that because I want us to see the weight and the awesomeness of Jesus taking on flesh and being born in this major. Everything in the Old Testament was perfected, was pointed to that one life. Listen to Hebrews 8, starting in verse 6. 
But now Christ has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator, listen, of a better covenant. Again, why was the writer of Hebrews so quick to attach, hitch his wagon to the Old Testament? Everything he says here, everything, what I want us to see is everything that he says here is built upon Jeremiah 31. He says it's a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for the second. For finding fault with them, he says, with the people. They were incapable. Again, Paul said it last week, the fault was not with the, the law, the fault was with sin. Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect the new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Interesting there, he's saying, two kingdoms that are divided will be brought back into one. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Again, he builds everything Christ did on the new covenant. That's my point. Again, you see how closely connected the new covenant is to the Old Testament? I I, I don't want to close these last couple of points to, to really treasure Christmas. Christmas, you see it there. Christmas is the replacement of shadows with the reality of Jesus who cast the shadow. Listen, all of us right now are hoping, well, let's just say our kids. All our kids, I guarantee if you asked your kids, there's, there's, there's like I said earlier, there is a gift that they want to see under that tree. There is one gift that is going to far exceed every other gift that is under that tree. And listen to me. Imagine opening up that gift and it being right there in front of them and instead they start playing with the shadow. Imagine that gift being right there in front of them, open, it's right there, and they start looking, they start still clinging. Oh, I hope I get it. I hope I get it. No, you got it. It's like when your kids open up the gift and they end up playing with the box. The the, the hope, the shadow caster, all of that Old Testament. Listen to what Colossians 2 says. Again, Christ is it. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Listen, verse 17, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. All of that Old Testament, the animal sacrifices, the feasts, the foods, all those things were shadows. Listen, when you see a shadow, what does it tell you? That the substance is there. It's the substance that casts the shadow. You don't sit there and say, oh, how beautiful the shadow. No, you, 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 you focus on the one who cast the shadow. Again, all those things were shadows. Christ is the substance. He's our Passover feast. He's, the, he's our spiritual food. He's our purity. He's our holiness. He's our sacrifice. He's our festival. He's our priest, he's our prophet, he's our king. 
He's even our law. Again, I said it. Christ is our law. Love God, love others. The new covenant in Christ fulfills all the old covenant, all the Old Testament pictures. Christ is the substance. And and I know I've taken a long way, but I'm trying to help us to understand that. These things, again, they don't help our standing before God. Diets and calendars and festivals and days of the weeks, all of those point to mere shadows. The, The substance is Christ. They were to lead us to Christ. They were to lead us to look for the one, to lead God's people to look for the one who would fulfill all of the shadows. Christ is the substance. And it is in His work that we're complete, not adherence to the law. But but secondly, there be, Christmas is God making the reality of Christ real to us personally by writing the will of God on our hearts so that we are willing and eager to trust and follow Him. It, It wouldn't work if God simply took away the shadows. It wouldn't work if God even set Christ before us and and left us to ourselves to know and love Him. Again, it's not up to us. our, our, Our lives would not become radically different. If He didn't change our hearts and He didn't do... Again, you, we'll look at it next week, but Romans 8, 12, Galatians 5, 16. It's the Spirit in us that wages war on the flesh. It's the fruit of the Spirit in us, doing the work. It's the new birth of John 3. It's the new creation of 2 Corinthians 5. New hearts, law written on our hearts. Literally, Spirit-driven obedience. From Colossians 3.16, the Word of God richly dwelling in us, fueling that obedience. Not that we don't have a responsibility, again, to read the Word, study the Word, know the Word. But it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Personally, personally in us. We don't need mediators. Christ is our mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. He brings us to God. Personally. See, Christmas is the reality that God is merciful to forgive our sins and that in Christ is the sufficiency. Again, we saw that. Verses 12 of Hebrews 8. For I will be merciful to their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is being obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the new covenant. God is forging with His people. And listen, He made this covenant with Israel. Okay? But what we saw last week, again, from Galatians 3, by faith, you and I are brought into the people of God. We are partakers of this by faith. And all of this, again... All of this, what he wants us to understand is that God is holy and just and he's separated from sinners like you and I. And our main problem, not only this Christmas, but every Christmas, is sin. How can we be made right with a holy God? And yet God is merciful. 500 years, 600 years before Christ, God promised to do something about our problem. Promised to forge a new covenant with us. That one day he would do something new. He would replace the shadows with the reality. That He moved powerfully in our lives and do a work for us that we could not do on our own. Even Romans 8, listen to what it says in Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Listen, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Do you see what Christ did? Fulfilled the law for us. Satisfied its demands for us. We become partakers of that through faith. How does a holy God forgive His sinful creation? The answer is Jesus Christ, perfect God, taking on flesh, being a perfect man, and dying. Three days later, resurrecting. Being our substitute. And by the way, when we believe, putting His Spirit in us causing us to walk in His ways, empowering us to crucify the flesh. It's exactly what He said in the New Covenant. It's exactly what He said He would do. Please see Christmas this way. Christ bore our sins in His body when He died. He took our judgment. He canceled our guilt. That means our sins are gone, remembered no more. God is now free because of Christ. If we place our faith in Christ, God is free in His justice to lavish us with a new covenant, to bring us into His family, to bring us into His presence. Why? Because we've been forgiven, washed, cleansed of all of our sin. How did that happen? Jesus Christ plus nothing. Jesus did that. And my prayer in all of this is that we would, this Advent season especially, we would grasp the preciousness of this new covenant like never before. Jesus Christ is the mediator of a new and a better covenant. What's new about it is that it doesn't leave us in our bondage to sin. It doesn't leave us in our self-determination. It doesn't leave us in our death. It sovereignly, it sovereignly overcomes our rebellion. Sovereignly overcomes our resistance and it frees us to delight in God, to love Him. And Christ is the mediator of this new covenant. You see it on your handout as we close. The new covenant is purchased by the blood of Christ. It's affected by the Spirit of Christ. Power over the flesh. And it's appropriated by faith in Christ. How do you receive it today? Faith. We saw that last week with Galatians 3. Faith. And it's always been faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. Faith is not some new thing. They still believe it was by faith. Jesus fulfills and continues the story of the Old Testament. I realize I've taken a long time to say that. You could have just said that like that, but I wanted to show you. The New Testament and the Old Testament are connected. Jesus came to solve the issue of the law by fulfilling the law in the line again. And he's the line of Abraham. He's the line of Judah. He's the line of David. That's why those genealogies that we skip over in Matthew and Luke, that's why they matter to prove that Jesus was the promised one. 
Again, Romans 10.4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Faith. Faith. And in that baby in the manger, God, God is opening up a way for sinful man to be in a right covenant with Him. To represent Him. To be recreated. To do for Him what we were intended to do before. Through faith. My point is this. Don't, don't, don't look to the Mosaic Law. Look to Christ. Make much of Christ. Love God. Love others through faith. Romans 14, 23 says, Whatever you do, wh whether you eat, drink, whatever you do not, whatever you do, if it is not from faith, it's sin. Faith. Love God, love others by faith. You say, Chris, well, do I have to do this? By faith. Well, Chris, what about this? Faith. Faith. Looking to Christ, the fulfillment. The substance that all the shadow of the Old Testament, all the shadows of the Old Testament, here's where they were pointing to, Christ. 2,000 years later, God did exactly what He said He was going to do. Listen, what does that stand for us today? You know what the, another gift of Christmas is? Hope. No matter how long you wait, listen to me, here's the story of the Bible, God is faithful. He's going to do exactly what He said He's going to do. Faith. Wait. Hope. That one day, again, just like in Bethlehem, the substance. First, Second Corinthians one twenty says, "For many as are the promises of God in Christ Jesus, they are yes." He's the substance. He's the substance. 